Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Ken. All right. Hi, my name is Ken. I'm a grateful compulsive overeater. Hi. What it was like. A little bit of backstory. Um, when I was born, I was b- born with a genetic disease that almost killed me in birth, to the point where I was born almost two months early. My parents divorced around, you know, shortly after the time when the, the, the bills got expensive for taking care of me because my father just couldn't step up the way I would feel a father should. There were things that happened in my home at the hands of my brother that no child should ever have to go through. There were instances that happened in my junior high that no one should have to go through. I've had an experience within a one-year period in junior high where this girl I had a mad crush on I told her how, that I liked her, and her response destroyed me. And I was sexually assaulted twice by women, in which one of them, if I hadn't fought her off, I would have been raped. That's something I hate sharing, but it's part of my story. But what I can tell you, what I learned, is that it had nothing to do with me becoming a compulsive overeater. Not one of those. It sure made me hungry. It sure made me want to eat, but it didn't cause it. I was born a compulsive overeater. And that was something I got to learn in this program, that you don't become us. You either are or you aren't. One of my foods that I made me realize that I was definitely in this meeting were donuts. And it wasn't the fact that I couldn't, you know, that one was too much and 25 was not enough. It was the fact that my intention was to go and have a donut. I'd go with somebody and look, let's split a donut, and I'd have a bite. And it would hit my tongue, and I'd start sucking on all the goodness from it. It would pass my throat. We'd leave, and all I'm thinking about is when am I going to have another donut? Well, let's see, I had a donut on Monday, so if I don't have another one until Friday, I'm good and I can have two. That was the obsession that would hit me. There were other foods that was just, I found myself binging on two pounds of raw carrots and celery. So, I was, I had it all. It didn't matter. It was, the fact that I ate was the fact that I didn't care. It was, F you, I don't care. What, you don't like me? F you, I don't care. What, you like me? Well, I'm not into you. F you, I don't care. It was that impulsiveness that I just didn't want to care because of the experiences I had that was just that I took on personally and I got to learn that coming to coming to program going through the steps that my situation my experiences just exacerbated the problem and one and it just led me to want to eat but it didn't cause me to become a compulsive overeater and I I first entered the rooms in 1997 and I knew I belonged because that room was the most wonderful room to be in And they said, well, you know what, let's stick around and find out if you're truly one of us. They didn't label me right away, but they did try to qualify me, which I loved. And I had people that reached out to me almost every single day the first week and a half. 
I'm blessed that four of those people still come to program, and the other ones, I don't know where they are. I hope they're still in meetings. They may not be in the meetings I go to, but I hope they're still here, because they saved my life. I was suicidal. I was over 500 pounds. Now, let me explain. Being 500 pounds, trying to get into a queen-size bed takes effort. Because if I got in the wrong way, it would turn into a Murphy bed and fold up on me. It happened twice. My pillows became, you know, catapult ammo. It just happened. And the scary part of the program that's, that, that allowed me the opportunity to make a choice and walk out was the God thing. There was a time when if you brought up God, I'd spend 40 minutes converting you to be an atheist. And how dare I do that to you? How dare I have the audacity or the arrogance to try to convert you on your beliefs? Because I sure as hell, I sure did not like you doing it to me. I'm trying not to cuss. It's one of my character defects that I, that I, I mean, there was a time that every third word was the F word because I was seizing my language. So if I slip one out, I do apologize ahead of time. I became an arrogant individual. Because I thought if I was smart enough and you accepted me that way, you, I would, you would accept me because I'm smart. And I've only shared this maybe half a dozen times, and I kind of like sharing it because it just sets me on ground. But ladies, there was a time I thought I knew more about PMS than you. <laughs> I, I, that, the arrogance to have that is kind of disgusting. And about five years ago, I'd gotten back into program, and I'm dying. I, st- I started in abstinence, and I'm dying, because all I kept hearing about was just don't eat and go to meetings, and I'm dying. That almost killed me for two years. And I started raising my hand because I needed another sponsor. I needed a sponsor that was going to hold me accountable to working the steps. And I was finding sponsors that were being very lackadaisical about it, and in the beginning, that was helpful. In the beginning, I needed that. In the beginning, I needed someone to say, you know, it's okay, you know, calm down. And I'd finally gotten to the point that I needed somebody to say, hey, dumbass, how about you start working the steps? And finally, a sponsor came up to me, and he says, call me. I expect to hear from you tomorrow. Okay, so I called him the next day, and he says, are you done? And I said, yes. Are you sure you're done? Because I don't want any excuses. And I said, yes. And he says, great. I want you to read the first forward to the, to the, to the, to the big book. It wasn't until 2009 that I actually was asked to read and understand the doctor's opinion. I've been coming in since 1997. No one ever told me to read the doctor's opinion. Everybody kept telling me, you know, let's start at chapter 5, how it works. And I've learned now that's kind of like trying to teach a child math and saying, let's go into algebra. Well, no, they need, you know, they need the addition, subtraction, multiplication. And you don't just jump them up to, to chapter five. So I read it for the first time and I understood, yes, it's in the mind. This, this, this head up here messes with me constantly if I'm not in tune with God. And I understood that 90% of the things that went wrong in my life I had a big part in it. I had a huge hand in it. Some of it was completely my fault, and some of it was just, you know, I did a little flick. And he read that, and he says, do you understand? Yes, great, let's move on. And he shot me through the steps rapidly. 
He says, you know, but within two months, I was done with all the stabs. He says, we're going to get, we're going to do this the way we do it in AA. Let's get through this rapidly. And that, again, that would have scared me in the beginning. And then at the point, it was like, okay, let's do it. So we finally, you know, we read up until chapter four, which is my favorite chapter. And I got to understand that all the outside issues out there didn't cause me to eat, but I ate over it anyway. I ate when things were great, when things were bad, when I had a great job, when I had a horrible job, when I was dating a girl that was pretty cool, and when I was dating a girl that was just vicious. It, it, the circumstances didn't matter, and I was bent over in the head about everything. I couldn't sleep. At one point, I was on three different medications. One was for blood pressure, anti-anxiety, and sleep. All because I couldn't shut my head off. And when I had to wean off it, I almost died over that. And then he asked me, and he had me turn to page forty-four. Uh, this is the chapter to the agnostics. Here is step one. And he said, this is a question. We're not going to stay here for a month or a week. Here it is. If when, I'm honestly, when I honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely on your own, or if when drinking you have little control over the amount you take, you're probably alcoholic. Well, that applied to a lot of food. Absolutely. I don't have, a, I don't have a, a guaranteed choice that if we go out and we were to go to McDonald's, which thankfully I haven't been to in over a decade, that I can't guarantee you that I'm not going to want more than just a meal. I can't guarantee that. And I know if I start, I may not be able to stop. I can't guarantee it. He said, great, let's move on. Next, and then we want to, you know, here's the question of God. And he had me mark all this down, which I just love. Uh, then we got to the question of God, which is, can I now believe, or if I'm now willing to believe in a power greater than myself? And I said, yes. And he says, great, next, move on. Within the period of an afternoon, I did the first three steps, which frightened me, and I loved it. I loved every single minute of it because it shot me through. He says, great. Now that you understand what the problem is, you understand what the solution is, we have a whole chapter on what the solution is. He says, the solution is God. If you find any other alternative out, you're not working the program. That scared me, and I loved it at all the same time. He said, great, let's move on. Next. So we got, to the, we got to the 12 steps. Here's the road you're going to take. And he says, this isn't where you get to take what you want and leave the rest. It's you either do all of it or you don't do any of it. And it's like, okay, great. Are you ready to do step three? And, he's, and I said, yeah, I've I, I got to shut this head off. He says, great. And we both dropped to our knees and we did the third step prayer. And I don't think I ever actually did that. Because, again, I picked sponsors that allowed me to get away with that. And that's, that is something that is, that, again, I had no right to do. But at the same time, if he's not, if I'm not being held accountable, I get away with everything. And I was always looking for that. So as soon as we finished up, he had me read the bottom of page 63. It says, next we launched on a course of rigorous action. He says, great, you have two weeks to do your fourth step. Now, boy, that bothered me. You give me a time limit? He says, yes. And in all honesty, pen to paper, my fourth step took about 12 hours. 
I was so sick in the head that I had a, almost 187 resentments going back to when I was six years old. It had first gotten to 184, and I figured, you know what, I love the number 187 because that's police water for murder. So I went and I found three more. You know, yeah, it, uh, th- that's how sick I was. So I'm like, great, I'll do that. Fine. He says, fine. Fear, my fear inventory took two hours, and my sexual conduct took an hour. Because I learned the sexual inventory has nothing to do with sex. It's how I treated women. How I treated the opposite sex. Now, if I were gay, it would be how I treat other men. But since I like women, he says, great, I want to know how you treat women. Am I disrespectful to them? Some of that was not great. Some of it, it was actually my smallest part of my whole entire inventory. But it wasn't pretty either way. And he said, fine, let's pick a date. You're going to give me your fourth step. And we picked a date. And we met up. We did the third step prayer again. He says, are you ready to be honest? I said, yes. He says, great. Next, tell me. And I got to tell him the most insidious, stupid, mind-numbingly BS resentments I had. And while he was there and while I was there, we were jotting down notes. Here's where my character defects are. Here are the people you're going to be on amends to. And this is how I worked it with my sponsees. I'm taking notes. Oh, you're an a-hole. Oh, you're, you're judgmental. Oh, you're selfish. Oh, you're a thief. Great. Wrote it all down. It took about two hours. And he says, great, pull out your big book. What does it say? And it says we go home for an hour after we've done this, and we review what we've done. And then asking God if there's anything I have left out. If there's anything I've left out, I have to jot it right down then and there and then call him. I didn't miss anything. Great. What do I do? He says, well, let's go. Let's read. What does the big book say? It says next. I, have, I list my character defects. I was already given my character defects. Great. Let's do step seven. We both got to our knees. I did, I, did, I did the seven-step prayer. He says, great, what does the big book say? It says, next, we go to step, step eight, which is list our people we owe an amends to. It's already done. So in an afternoon, I did five, six, seven, and eight. Scared me. To, scared me. It's like, wow. But it was great all at the same time because it was going rapidly, but it was being fully and honest. It was, I was charged up. And he says, great, now let's look at your amends. Who are you going to run on a men's list? And I broke them down into columns because I, ha- because I knew I had to. Here are the people I'm willing to make an amends to right here and now because I, I, you know, I want to have it done. Here are the people that you know, I really don't care about. And this list over here, hell no. <laughs> just hell, just no, uh-uh, no. He goes, that's fine. Put them on your list. Let's go with the easy people first. And I shot through the easy list, which wasn't many. You know, within a few, within a, within a week, I was done with those. Great. Now, as I'm doing my amends, he says, "Yeah, now you're also on step ten, because step ten says we take, we continue to take personal inventory, which means I still had to clean stuff up that happens now." What are my ninth step amends I had to make, and I was blessed with making. One of my character defects is that I tend to get hyper-focused on a, on a particular object that may be in the room. And I was in a meeting. And this woman was wearing this necklace that had, all this, had these green stones with this little inlay of silver and gold and eyes that were a different stone. Now, you all know where necklaces lay. I was staring at that for the whole fucking... Sorry. I was staring at that for the whole meeting. Completely oblivious that I'm doing this. 
And I'm at, a, I'm at an OA event, and my friend comes up to me, and she says, you know what, she starts ripping into me, you know, you owe this person amends. I'm like, what are you talking about? They tell me what I did, and I said, well, wait a second, I wasn't staring at her chest, I was staring at her necklace. You say that to a woman, right away, the, the eyes rolled back in her head, and I'm like, but as soon as I described the necklace, she said, oh, but you still creep her out, she's over there. <laughs> Now, my male ego, my arrogance wanted to say, but I'm not even attracted to her, so what's, you know, that's her deal. No, go. Went up to her and I said, you know, can I talk to you? And she had the response most women would have is, I don't have time for you. And I said, I owe you no man. And she's like, okay, boom, we went over to the corner. <laughs> now, as soon as I explained that, and I described the necklace to her, her demeanor changed. But what followed out of my mouth was, that still did not give me an excuse to creep you out. And I'm sorry for creeping you out. That's still not an excuse. And then I got to listen to how that affected her without a response. I was taught that in this program. I was taught when I make an amends, an amends is not simply saying, oh, I'm sorry I hurt your feelings. Uh-uh. Because I've done the damage, I have to sit there and listen to them and how, that, how I hurt them. And I can't respond. Except with when they're done, I'm sorry and I make amends for those. How do I rectify it? Before program, my credit rating was in, in the basement. In the, it was like at 180. I mean, it was just, you know, if I, if I tried to get a loan, the percentage would have been 32 because I looked once. It, it, was, it was horrible. That's where I went to with this illness. In the head, I just, I was compulsive about everything. And I had to correct that. I had to take action to fix that. My credit rating is good enough now to where I was able to buy a new car. That's the blessings of this program. Because of this program, I was able to shed over 200 pounds. You know, when I came in here, I was in, I was at my brother's wedding and I had to get a 74 jacket. Tucks. I'm wearing a 56 now. It's a little big on me and I'm happy about that. I mean, to lose 200 pounds, that's like a linebacker in high school. It, you know, it, it was just insidious that I'd gotten that heavy and completely unaware that that was a big deal. I thought it was my lot in life, and woe was me. I was the victim, play a violin. And now I know that I can't get away with that anymore. You know, I'm in my early 40s. I can't get away with no one understands. I can't do that. that that's insulting to God. That's insulting to the program. And by extension, it's insulting to all of you to do that. I can't live that life anymore. And then I had to continue to take not only personal inventory, but I had to continue to, to sought through prayer and meditation my conscious contact with God. I've gone from putting God in a box and in a corner to being in God's corner and trusting God on every single issue where I don't know the answer. And a lot of the times, the answer that comes is, why don't you call Shirley? Why don't you call Jake? Why don't you call this person? Because they'll know the answer. What a profound idea to actually call someone who may know your, the answer to the problem and listen and take direction. I would have never have done that before. Because I always thought it was my lot in life to do it on my own. And this program is such a blessing that I have found in my life to where my life is probably not where my ego would like it to be. But for the first time, I'm accepting of what comes up. You know, I used to think when I was first in program that, you know, if I'm, you know, if I have this great contact with God that I'll get the parking space I want. Well, no, what happens is I'm happy that I get the parking space I get, whether it's right in front or a mile back. 
I don't care. That's the blessing. I'm going to just end with that if you're struggling, because what I've learned is this, when you're struggling on something, it's where are you with God and where are you in the steps? That's a scary question I hated receiving because I had to be honest. If I was being bent up, it was because I was sitting on step three or I was sitting on step four. And I was also taught to work rapidly through the program and and the blessings of the program, the promises of the program will come to you quickly as well. When I came in, I was at a 56 inch waist jeans and now I'm in a 44. Before, if I walked up those flight of stairs, I would have had to have stopped at the first landing to catch my breath. Don't have to do that now. The physical recovery is great. The physical abstinence is great. But the step work is where it is. I want to thank you all for giving me the opportunity to share and answer any questions anybody has. Does anybody have questions? What, what helped me with the extreme willingness to, to work the steps rapidly or to the whole, the whole thing was shutting off my head and just taking direction. It's just saying, whatever you want, I'm willing to do it, and just doing it. It just came up that my sponsor said, what are you willing to do? If he told me, you know what, I want you to be clean-shaven every day, I need you to do it, I would do it. And he asked me to do that. He asked me to not dress like a bum. He says, tuck in your shirt, you're not four. <laughs> so, the, the, the willingness is, is actually a decision. <laughs> And then there's action. That's why step four immediately follows step three. You can, I can make a decision to turn my will in life over to the care of God, but if I don't take the action, the decision's meaningless. So I can become willing first, I have to make a decision, and then I have to take action. Because if I don't take action, the willingness, desire, decision is meaningless. So it's just, just actually just doing it. It's like the Nike commercial, just do it. And the results come, and they're fantastic. I hope that answers your question. Wow. Uh, what, how I became from being an atheist to a believer. In all honesty, I was actually always believed in a higher power. Because there was a time when I was a kid, I was in a hospital for almost a year. And there was strange things that happened in that wing where some of the kids knew they were dying that day. There was a moment my mom remembers when the alarms went off and eight doctors and nurses came in and were surrounding me and checking me out. Here's my mom, whose husband's not around, and she's panicking. And she said that me, as five years old, looked at her and said, I'm okay. And as I started to remember that, I thought, you know what? If, if God is everything, then I have everything to gain. If God is nothing, then I have nothing to lose. So again, it's just, it's taking the risk. It's taking the risk and saying, you know what? Because there are people out there in religious groups that tend to bastardize religion. But they're just that one person. And I, you and I can either accept their opinion of it or find that where religious people are right. That's what the big book says. Find where they are right and listen to that. And it really, again, it takes the willingness and then making a decision to just start believing and letting it go. And as long as you practice that every day, eventually it gets a lot easier to where it's automatic. Okay, so how do you stop when you want to stop overeating and the the feeling just comes in and you want to eat? What helped me is I made an outreach call. There was a time when I had three different sponsors that I would call regularly. And this one sponsor who I love dearly, this guy Tony F., he lives on this side of the hill. I used to call my food into him every day. And he would never comment on my food. 
except once in a while. And one time, over a string of three days, my food sounded very odd to him. And he called me and says, what's going on? I said, nothing's going on. He goes, wait a second. Yesterday at every meal you had a cheeseburger. Something's going on. I went, well, oh, okay. And then I would tell him. I remember one time I was, my mind was racing and I wanted to eat and I was panicking. And I called him and I said, I'm torn between smashing my head up against the wall or having a brownie. And it was, take one, call me back. Click. He hung up on me. <laughs> Enraged me. And I called him back and he says, did you pick one? Does your head hurt? I said, no, you just call me back. Click. So I bit into the brownie. I felt really good. Called him back and he says, great. Now let's deal with the issue. Because in, in the big book, when Bob, Dr. Bob was freaking out about doing doing surgery, he was given a pop of alcohol. Here, now go and do the work. So when those, what happens is when those feelings come up and you're at that point, you should have called your sponsor two hours ago. And that's what Tony would tell me. He says, why didn't you call me when you woke up this morning? Because it just didn't come up. You were sitting on something from yesterday, weren't you? And it got, yeah, it was. So when you, when you start to notice those patterns in your thoughts, it's fine when it, start, when it starts, because it always starts five thoughts ago. And then when you make the call then, you will find the answer. I hope that helps. My daily spiritual practice is, is actually, I learned it, and it's such a beautiful thing that even my sponsors picked it up. When I go to bed every night, I thank everybody for my day, everybody I ever interacted with, whether it was that jerk on the road who kept cutting me off because he taught me to slow down and be a better driver, to the person that served me my coffee. I thank everybody for my day because every day I have an opportunity to carry the message. So I thank everybody for my day, and I try to remember the people in the day that, that I have to thank. Then I also thank, I also pray for the people in my life and the usual prayer is, I pray for their highest good, for divine order and perfect harmony. And the first people that are usually on top of that list are the people that tick me off. The people that, quite frankly, that if I had a baseball bat and no one was around, you know, they'd be knocked out. And I do that. In the morning, I ask God to guide me and to show me opportunities where I can be of service. And sometimes that's hard because if I wake up and I have a headache, you know, okay, I take two hours and wait a bit, and I, I try to remember that every single day, God make me be of service. Give me opportunities, every single opportunity, to be of service to people. Although I don't like it, my phone's on 24-7. And I've had people call me at 3 in the morning, and it's, give me a second, and then I listen to them, and I try to talk them through whatever BS minutia they're going through. Now, some of my sponsees have hated my response because to me, if you're calling me at 3 in the morning, it better not be something petty. And they started to realize, I'm, you know, and that's what I try to do. Because, and again, I try to talk to them the way I'd want to be talked to. And a lot of times, I need to be talked to where it's straight and to the point. Well, a loving hand saying, hey, you know, dummy, what you're doing is going to send you down this road. Why don't you try this? Why don't you try turning it over to God? So when I practice that, my days are pretty good. My days are phenomenal. I wake up and I feel blessed. And the days I forget, days don't go well. But as soon as I realize that, I take a side note, I pause, I go to the restroom and start praying. And then I pray for God then and there, please direct me and help me give find situations for me to be of service. 
And the more and more I do that, the easier it becomes automatic. And I don't eat over things anymore. And when a thought comes up, I, tr- I address it then and there because if I don't, it will affect me two meals later because I will have forgotten about it. And it's working the steps. It's not. You see, I know some people hate when I say this. It's not working slogans. It's not working saying easy does it 20 times. It's getting doing the step work. Doing a step, 10 step and then turning it over to somebody and saying, yeah, I'm pissed off at so-and-so. Okay, why are you pissed off at that? And then going down the list. This is a great program, and the quicker we get to it, the better our lives do become. It's a guarantee. It's a promise. Does that help? Mm-hmm. Okay. I think I have time for one quick question. I think, do I? Well, no. Thank you for letting me be of service.